All righty, all righty, all righty. Grab your seats, class. <clears throat> Thrilled you're here. One, one quick announcement. Um, through the years, if you've been around for a while, Pastor William from Pakistan has come here and he's prayed and you'll know that last year when everything blew up in Afghanistan and Pakistan, the Taliban was running rampant. We prayed here for Pastor William. He and his wife and four daughters were threatened by the Taliban and have been threatened for nearly a decade. We're gonna kill you. Stop proclaiming the gospel. We're gonna kill you. And when the Taliban took over, when the U.S. Army left, um, we... We thought, you know, he, we lost contact and he, he had sent a last email saying, you know, we're running for our lives. And so, Pastor William, we took an offering here. I, some of you were here and you gave him that offering to help buy plane tickets to get them to the United States to get their paperwork done. And they got out. They got out. And he'll be here next Friday. So, so... He's gonna come up, we're gonna pray, we're, he's gonna tell a bit of his story, he'll pray over us, it's just gonna be a beautiful night. So if you've met Pastor William or been in his presence, you'll wanna be here next Friday to hear a bit of his story. So praise God for saving their lives. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter three. We're in the third week of a series called Who is God? And we're trying to get basic here, go back to the fundamentals to ask the, the elemental questions about who we're working with, with this God that we call Father and that we call Son and that we call Holy Spirit. And so tonight is week three in the Father conversation. We'll, we'll move on to talk about Jesus the Son and then we'll talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, but tonight is week three and uh, I'll read Genesis 3, 1 through 9. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. So hear the word of the Lord. I'll read this text and we'll pray. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, let me get this straight. Are you sure? Did you miss here? Like, I wasn't there, but it doesn't really sound right. Did, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, he was trying to deceive her with sort of a half truth, right? Did he say that you can't eat from any tree? He knew what the story was. The woman said to the serpent, no, 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 let me clear this up. We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. <sighs> How superstitious are you? You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw, she, she started to go, well, goodness. That, that's a, I mean, big implications if, if the snake is right. And then she started looking at it. It was off limits and she saw that the fruit of the tree, it was, it was good for food and gosh, that's gorgeous. It's also pleasing to the eye and gosh, if it can give me wisdom. So she took some and she ate it and she also gave some to her husband who's complicit. He was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves and then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, God's coming back because he always walks in the garden in the cool of the day and it's his time and so he comes and so they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? This is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God, Lord, we need you to speak, I do not have enough. I am so inadequate to the task of helping put a people back together. That's your job. That's what you love to do. And we all need to be put back together tonight. So would you speak? Would you move among us by your spirit? 
We give you permission. If you agree with that, would you just tell the Lord you give him permission? That Speak to us, Lord. We, we want to be transformed. We want to be made new. We, we need to lay some things down and we need to pick some other things up. We need you tonight. So we pray, may the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. It was all going so very well until it wasn't. (laughs) The Genesis 1 and 2 thing that we looked at last week and God saw that it was good and God saw that it was good and God saw that it was good. Seven times we hear that refrain, this this benediction exploding into creation. And it used to be formless and void and darkness was hovering over the face of the deep. And there was chaos and there was nothingness and there was abysmal emptiness. And then God said, let there be light. And God, out of the chaos, he raises up order and he establishes strength and he evokes beauty and he gives us the great gift. And there's trees budding forth and grass springing vertical pilgrimage up to the skies and and there's the dome up there and then there's the waters down here and the dry land and God set my feet upon a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand and he put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise unto my God it's just good there's fruit and there's animals and there's day and there's night and there was evening and there was morning the first day and the second day and the seventh day on the seventh day God saw it was so good that he just rested It was so good until it wasn't. You turn the page to Genesis chapter three, our text tonight. And the serpent slithers up in and seduces the man and the woman away from their obedience by planting the seed of doubt. Now the serpent was more crafty. (laughs) The devil is not stupid. He knows how to talk to us. He knows the, point, the points of pain. He knows the points of weakness. He knows where we're kind of soft. He knows he, he doesn't speak the same way to every single person. He, he works in the lust of the flesh and he works in the lust of the eyes and he works in the pride of life. And those are the three categories. But the way he talks to each of us, it's, it's, he knows where to get us. And the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden. He's causing us to question. He's planting the seed of doubt. And essentially what he's saying is God is holding out on you. God is, God is um, he's suspicious and he's, he's defensive and he doesn't really know his spot. And so he's, he's threatened. God is threatened by your flourishing. And so if you take that apple and you take a bite, you're gonna gain wisdom and you're gonna gain strength and you will become like God and God is scared and God is circling up the wagons and so he's trying to keep something good from you. God doesn't want your life flourishing at the center. And so I, I just want you to reconsider if you should really obey him. He's planting the seed of doubt. A little compromise isn't that big of a deal. and It's, it's, it's fine. It's not gonna really matter if you cut this corner. No one will really know. In the big scheme of things, this isn't a big moment. Just go ahead and live a little bit. It's just one Friday night. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just a, it's just, you know, fudging the books just a little bit and, and that won't show up in the audit. No one will really care and it's a company card, but it's fine. You, you work really hard for those people. Did God really say that you shouldn't do that? And we take the story into our own hands and communion is broken. And chaos ensues. We walk away. But I wanna ask the question tonight, what's the reason? Why, like, why do we do this? Like Paul says in Romans seven, like the thing that I know I shouldn't do, I do. And the thing that I really want to do, I don't do. And he goes, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Who will save me from this body of death? I'm always, I'm stupid. I, 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 I know I shouldn't, but we, we take the story into our own hands and I wanna ask why. What's the reason for our waywardness? 
Why do we fall prey to the, the, the slithering, seductive snake that comes up to us to just say, you know God's holding out on you. Go ahead and take the story into your own hands. Why, what's the reason for our waywardness? And I'll, I'll show you here in verse four, it says, the enemy talks back and says, you, it, it's not a big deal. You won't certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat for, from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, which is such an intoxicating proposal. Man, I want to be God. I want to be in control of the world. I want, I want people to, when I say jump, they say how high on the way up. I want, I want you know, or people organizing the world around me. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to have to sacrifice. I don't want to have to be out of control. I don't want to have to not know the future. So I want to be like God. Am I talking to anyone in this place tonight? that's felt like, you know what, life is complex and difficult enough. If I can just eliminate the difficulties, I would do that. This is what Adam and Eve are doing. I'm going to eliminate the difficulties. I'm gonna eliminate the uncertainties. I am going to, to move out front and become my own God. I'll just say this, we've all grabbed at the apple. <laughs> we've all tried to play this game before and we get uncomfortable when we hear this story because we think, we read Adam and Eve, you know, they hatched some devious scheme to be like God as if they were some tyrants, you know? Like, no, that's not what's going on here. Because when we, when we sort of put them as those tyrants, they wanna be like God and those, you know, devious people, what we can do is we can separate ourselves from them. Oh, those ancient crazy people, I would never do that. Yes, you would. And yes, you have, and yes, I have. And yes, I am threatened with it all the time. Can we just say that Adam and Eve is in all of us? We experience it. There's so many more of us, you know, there, of course there are the few tyrants on, you know, those big moments in history, those seismic events, and you've got the Hitlers that rise up in the Pol Pots, and you've got the, I mean, of course we have, but, but very often and most often it's just, it's just those little bitty compromises where we want to control the situation, where we want to cut a corner, where we want to take the story into our own hands so that we can be God. Why do we do this? We, we, we all wanna be enlightened and we all long for transcendence and we all desire immortality. Who wants to die? None of us want to die. None of us want to be compromised. None of us want to be on the brink of impoverishment. None of us want to, to feel threatened ever. And so the enemy slithers up and goes, you know, if, you, if you'll just go ahead and if you'll take this moment to take advantage of it, you'll have the competitive advantage and you'll be like God. We all want to secure our own futures. We all want to cut out the middleman. Essentially, we can even cloak it in altruistic language. I just don't want to be a burden to anyone. I just, it's okay. I just don't want to. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cut a corner here because I don't. And in America, the new sign of success is when we think we no longer have to depend on other people. I'm just gonna be like God for a little bit here, so I don't, I don't wanna be a burden to anyone. But let's just name that independence is an illusion. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. Jeff Bezos depends on us being consumers. Being, we just got our appetites. And we think he's, we think he's independent. No, he's not. He's dependent on us being consumers. We aren't born by any choice of our own. I didn't pick to be here. Those two people right there. They never told me I was an oops baby, but my twin sisters are 20 months older. It was a surprise. But I'm here and I'm thankful I'm here. Had nothing to do with it. I just showed up one day and they fed me and they put me in school and they got me to this point and at this point it's my fault if something goes wrong. Like they, they did their job. We don't, we don't choose to be here. Independence is an illusion. We all come from somewhere. 
and we aren't buried by any strength of our own. No one ever put their casket in the ground. Independence is an illusion. And every moment in between is lived by faith in God and dependence on other people. But the enemy goes, if you, this is the moment where you can become God. Where you will never have to depend on anyone else again, including the man upstairs. So if you'll just grab this moment, it's yours. The real reason for our waywardness is that we don't want to have to live by faith. I don't want to live by faith. I want to live by me. And if I can organize my life and if I can just get my, my bank account to the right number, if I can get my 401k in the future set, and if I can just, and if I can be healthy enough, and, but I'm just here to say tonight, independence is an illusion. We're all living by faith in God and independence on one another. So can we just eliminate independence as an option? And can we just say, we will never be God, it will never work, and every shortcut that we take will end up leading to chaos and destruction, and it fragments and fractures the world around us, and we lose sleep, and we hate looking ourselves in the mirror when we live like this, it doesn't work. The enemy says it will, but it won't. We want to be like God so that we don't have to wait for God. What's the reason for our waywardness? We, we just don't like needing other people. But what's the result of our waywardness? If, if the reason for our waywardness is we wanna be like God and we wanna cut out the middleman and we wanna secure our own lives, what, what's the result of our waywardness? So the first thing I'll say is shame and hiding. When we, when we go away, I mean, this is like elemental. This is the, it happened in the first story that we just read and it happens in all of our stories when we take that shortcut, trying to be God. When we violate, when we cross that line, when we switch over trying to overfunction and trying to be our own little deities, we end up being shamed and we end up hiding. We see this in Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Nothing changed in their situation except their awareness. They was naked. And then they, they were still naked. Like, like, every, like nothing changed except they were ashamed of that. I, I'm not safe with you and, and, and I don't even know if I can trust you anymore and we've lived all, like who are you anyway? And, and I thought you were for my good and what, what's going on? Have you ever gotten in that kind of loop where, where shame takes over and you start second guessing and questioning and, and no one's trustworthy and all of a sudden the ground is moving out from underneath you? When we sin, this is what gets injected into our being. We're embarrassed, we're, we, we, we start self-loathing and self-hatred and, and self-wounding at times. Like shame comes in. We see this at the very beginning and they realized they were naked. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they made coverings. They're, they're hiding. And then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. When I'm not living right, I hide. And I've been a pastor for 17 years and I grew up with pastors. I've watched it my whole life. When people start being absent, start asking questions. Be very concerned. When I start hiding, be very concerned. This is why the body of Christ matters. If you see me kind of being shifty and I can't make eye contact anymore, and where's Daniel? Why is Daniel changed? Like start asking me questions because it's likely if you will pull at that thread, you will see that I'm trying to hide and I'm ashamed and, and the enemy has gotten a foothold. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. This is why repentance matters. I'm sorry, I have sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight, Lord, and I've wounded other people around me. Please forgive me, I was wrong. I repent because repentance breaks the shame cycle and it, it breaks the hiding cycle. Shame and hiding happens when we, uh, when we walk away. Our waywardness results in shame and hiding, the guilt of embarrassment. But the second thing that it results in, it results in ruthless competition and eventual violence. And now all of a sudden everyone becomes a threat. 
Now all of a sudden we're in the same garden that God gave us and it's a garden of abundance. I mean, good Lord, have mercy. Look around and this thing's exploding with life and and there's blessing everywhere and we heard him say it was good and it was good and it was good and it was good but sin gets in our souls and waywardness lures us away and now all of a sudden everyone else is a competition. It's a threat and it's not abundance, it's scarcity. So I've got to protect and I've got to make sure that number one makes it because this is a difficult economy and I've got to make sure that I've got to hedge my bets and competition and violence. We see this from Genesis 3. What happens? We take the story into our own hands. Genesis 3, the fall. The fracturing of communion with God. Genesis 4, you turn the page to the next chapter. Cain kills his brother Abel. Adam and Eve's boys destroy each other. Cain kills Abel, and you see the fracturing of the family in the next chapter. They're hiding from God in Genesis 3, and then in Genesis 4, brothers striking each other down, hiding each other, hiding from God, hiding from their parents, looking over their shoulder. It's ruthless competition and violence. That's what happens when when the sin cycle gets into us. Genesis chapter six through nine, we see Noah and the flood, which is the fracturing of the created order. The earth starts to groan. We've got communion with God that's fractured. We've got brothers killing each other. And now in Genesis six through nine, we've got the flood. We've got the earth collapsing back into chaos and nothingness. You see the effects of sin. In Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, we'll be God again. We're gonna secure our own future and the nation's coming together and let's build a tower to the heavens because if we can do that, if we can get our technology right and if we can get our military systems right and if we can keep the economy right, then we will protect ourselves. We will be airtight from attack and we see in Genesis chapter 11, the fracturing of the nation. God scatters them and the unified language becomes, it's babble because everyone, they can't understand each other anymore. They used to be able to understand, they used to be able to talk it through, but now we've lost our ability to communicate. We've lost our communion with God. Families have been broken. The communion of the created order collapses into chaos and now the nations can't even understand. We're all talking, but no one hears. This is what sin does to us. Ruthless competition and eventual violence. We've got Russia and Ukraine right now on the brink. Why? Because sin. We've lost communion and we refuse to repent. And so what do we do when we refuse to repent? We double down in our madness and in our violence and there will be blood. We could get in a room and we could break bread and we could open up the bottle of wine with Jesus Christ and, and, and Putin could look someone in the eye and have a decent conversation. But when you don't repent, when you refuse to, to bow the knee to the God who is, you have to be your own God, which means everyone else has to die. Do you see what happens? Shame. And we start hiding. And then eventually we get so mad at ourselves and so mad at how the world is collapsing that we lash out and we secure our own kingdoms. That's the result of our waywardness. Adam and Eve, they start pointing the finger. Verse 11, and the Lord said, who told you? This was a good thing. What I gave you was a good thing. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman. I know that's never happened in your house. It was a factory defect, God. He said, I took her out of you. You can point the finger, that's your rib. <laughs> like, like, that's you. <laughs> the man said, the woman you put with me, uh, she gave me some fruit. And, and I'm just this poor victim. I was hungry. It's like a midnight snack. I mean, what are you gonna do? And then the Lord God rolls his eyes from this bonehead of a man and he looks at the the woman. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, 
the serpent. The man said the woman, and the woman said the serpent. You see, when sin takes over, it's always someone else's fault. I, you know, I'm, I'm just a decent person, and I was trying, and I just got, I fell in with the wrong crowd, and, and they got the final vote. I just, I, I, and I told them the whole time, I didn't want anything to do. I'm fasting right now, Eve. I'm fasting. I'm trying to devote myself to Yahweh and just live in holy communion with him, and I'm just not even hungry right now. I'm, I'm, it, it's intermittent fasting, and it's not my time to eat. And, but she forced me, Eve forced me. When sin moves in, it's always someone else's fault. The man said it's the woman's fault, and the woman said it's the snake's fault, and no one wants to go, I repent, I was wrong, I am sorry, I have done what is evil in your sight, because when repentance happens, everything breaks open. When sin has its way and everyone's pointing the finger, we're all yelling, but we can't hear anything. It's the Tower of Babel writ large. We live at the base of the Tower of Babel saying, no, it's the, it's the Russians, it's the Ukrainians, it's the Hutus, it's the Tutsis, it's the Democrats, it's the Republicans, it's the whites, it's the blacks, it's the browns, it's the rich people that are messing up, it's the poor people. If they would just work. When sin takes over, it's everyone else's fault. But the people of God just go, my bad. I don't need to win. Let's let's get this thing over with and repentance and humility and tenderness and innocence and looking people in the eye and breaking bread around the table. It, It breaks the cycle. That's what makes repentance so powerful. Repentance says, I'm sorry, I was wrong. The madness stops with me. The reason for our waywardness is we want to cut out the middleman. We want to be God. We don't want to have to depend on anyone else. The result of our waywardness is shame and hiding and ruthless competition and eventual violence. But, and thank God there is good news tonight. What is God's response to our waywardness? We know the reason and we know the result. But what is God's response to our waywardness? Genesis 3 8 and 9, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool, in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord. But our hiding is not the final act. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? If you, are, if you, if you love to read, I love to read. Kate loves to read. I know there's so many people who love to read. And if you're a student of literature, you're paying attention to genre and you're paying attention to form and you're paying attention to the poetry that, and you're paying attention to questions. And, and do you know what the very first question in the Bible is? Where are you? <laughs> not, hey, hey God, uh, can you... Can you help? It's not a nagging child like pulling at dad's coattails. And, you know, the very first question is God sees what happens when we cut corners and God sees what happens when we try to cut out him and, and be our, our own little deities and God knows the chaos and God knows the shame and God knows the hiding and God knows the violence and God knows the competition and God is the one who knows when we hide that he's not going to settle for losing his children. If you, good God almighty, if my kids were lost, I would be about nothing else on planet Earth until they were found. The world stops when my kids are lost. And you know where that comes from? The Father. My kids, where are you? You know I didn't start this story for this. You know I'm not gonna leave you hiding out there in your shame and your nakedness. You know, you know I'm not gonna let you pretend to be your own little gods. Get your butt back in here right now. And I'm not even trying to play right now. I'm like, this is the pathos of God. Like, where are my kids? Give me my kids back. Because I didn't start this for me. I started this for us. Give me my kids back. Don't mess, you, you wanna mess with me? That's fine. Don't play with my kids. And when God sees his children lost 
and confused and vexed and afraid and in shame. And they, they're concerned about their nakedness and they're living looking over their shoulders and they're striking down brothers and burying them in the ground. And the world is fractured and all. What God comes back and he says, get back in here, get back in here, get back in here. God is the God who's going to put the story back together. What is God's response to our waywardness? God comes back to find us. Genesis 3 tells us that God will not passively sit by and let us be lost. He just, he won't do it. We think that God is the one who goes, fine, let me know how that works out for you. And, and he's this like pouting, you know, insecure dad who's sitting on his rocking chair, just, you know, like you, you messed up my name and you, you dishonored the family. God is not the God sulking at home. God is the God beating the pavement, going to get his kids back. Where are you? And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There have been seasons in my life where I've hidden and I hear the, the hound of heaven. Get back in here, Daniel Wilson Grothy. You are better than that. You're my son uh, that I love, and you I am well pleased. Let's go. God is not willing to let us be lost. And so Jesus comes racing into the world. And the ministry of Jesus, you want me to summarize it for you? Where are you? He sees this adulterous woman getting ready to be stoned out in the streets and he stumbles and he goes, the heck you're gonna kill this woman? This is the one I came for. You think I'm gonna like pile on her nakedness and her shame? Get the heck out of you. Who of you hasn't done this? Go ahead and cast the first stone. This is my girl. My father sent me for this one. He sees the poor people out on the streets and the lame people out on the streets and the blind people having to fend for themselves in an economy that had passed them by. And Jesus goes, where are you? Come here, come here, let me feed you. He sees the 5,000, the men and their wives and children, 20,000 people that day. And the disciples go, get them the heck out of here. They're gonna, they're gonna bankrupt our ministry. And Jesus goes, you give them something to eat. Because my father's always coming back to bring his kids back together and to nourish them and to care for them. My, God, my, my father's the one who created the garden and I'm gonna get the garden back with my children in it. Jesus Christ, the ministry of Jesus is where are you? Come home, come home, come home, come home. He's collecting up all the world's tattered and, tattered and torn and snatching up the sick and the seditious and he's looking for the lonely and the lost and Jesus comes running as the hound of heaven and he is the shepherd looking for that. He's not, Jesus is not okay having 99 if there is one that is lost. I, who is this God? Who is he? My ratios, that's okay. 90, 99%, we're okay. Jesus goes, no, we are not. Where are you? He tells these stories about some, some person who lost a coin in their house and they throw all the furniture out of the house for one stupid coin. And he says, that's me with you. I, where are you? What is the result of our sin? We know the result is, is, is shame and hiding and, and loss and competition and violence. We, we know what happens, but what will God do? What is his response? The good news is God cannot be worn down by our waywardness, and this is the God who just keeps coming at us with his mercy. The clock is telling me to be done, but I wanna tell you one more story. North Africa, 300s, Algeria. This lady had a son and she loved her son like a mom loves her son. And she's a Christian, the lady's a Christian. The, the husband, the dad is a pagan. He doesn't, he doesn't give a rip. But this is a faithful woman and she, God finally answered her cry and gave her a son and she's so thankful for this boy and she she wants to raise him in the the nurture and the admonition of the word of god and and that's all working and he's in algeria and, but this kid in his middle school 12 11 12 13 years he he starts being a real idiot and then he leaves algeria and he goes over to tunisia he's running away and he falls in with the wrong crowd and these people are just wanton drunks and they're wild hedonists and they're being promiscuous in their teenage years sleeping around and they're drinking and they're stealing to to support themselves and it's just i mean he's fallen in with 
a terrible crew. And this guy becomes the ringleader of this crew and his blood is racing for evil. And this mom is back home in Algeria weeping and she's sad that her husband doesn't even care. And this boy, he, he, he fathers a, a love child. He's just running around town and doing whatever he wants. He fathers a love child and he doesn't care. And, and his mom is at home a, a couple nations away praying and crying out and interceding. And this boy, is, he becomes 32. He's a young man now. And still living 15 years. He's, he's changing homes with different women and, and, and just no signs of caring. And he's out one day with this wild crew of, of his friends that are wild hedonists, and he hears a little child running through the streets. This is exactly how it goes. He, he wrote the story later. This is the 300s AD. And this little child was running through the streets going, tole lege, tole lege, Latin. Tole lege, tole lege. And, and Rome had dominated North Africa, and so they're speaking Latin down there. And tole lege, take and read, take and read, take and read take and read, this little child just shouting, take and read. And this 32-year-old, his heart is pricked. And he goes to the library. People didn't readily have Bibles. He goes to the library and he picks up the New Testament. And he starts reading about God's son who comes and says, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And there was a prodigal and he was in the pigsty and he was in a different country and he starts seeing himself having left Algeria to Tunisia and he'd gotten to the bottom of his money and he'd gotten to the bottom of the bottle and he had lost all his friends and he's got loved children around town and he comes to the end of himself and he hears this story from this man, the son of God saying, where are you? And this little child says, tole lege and this 32 year old is pricked to his spirit and he goes to the library and that day he falls on his knees and he and he gives himself to, to Jesus and he says, late have I loved you. Beauty so ancient and still so new. Late have I loved you. You called and you shouted and you broke through my deafness and you flashed and you shone and you dispelled all my blindness and you breathed your fragrance on me. And he said, and I drew in your breath and I kept on breathing and I've tasted and seen and now I want more and you breathed your fragrance on me. Late have I loved you. And that man was St. Augustine, the greatest theologian in church history. And as I was in prayer about this night tonight, I had the sense that some of you would come in here tonight and you just feel so stupid. That's just how I heard it from the Lord. Because of decisions you've made, because of years of waywardness, because of taking the story into your own hands, because of cutting corners, and you're ashamed and you're hiding, and, you're, and, and the Lord is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and you know, he, you, know, you know he's around, but you're off hiding in the trees, and tonight the spirit of Jesus is here, and he's saying, where are you? You can come home. Jesus is here to collect you up. Jesus is here to heal you. Jesus is here to forgive you. Friends, the action is in repentance. If you will just tonight give yourself over and say, have mercy on me, oh God. I have sinned against you. I have done what is evil in your sight. It didn't work. You are the only one who can be Lord. If it, I hope the whole room does this tonight. And if we will do this, we will begin to heal the world. In a world that's finger pointing and the woman and the man and the serpent and the, and the nations are babbling and we can't understand each other. When the saints fall on their knees and repent, the world begins to be restored. Let it start with us right here, right now, tonight. Colorado Springs, 80921. Saints, you don't have to feel stupid. You don't have to hide in your shame. Jesus is here and he's saying, where are you? It's time to come home tonight. Can you say amen? Stand with me tonight, church. What we're going to do is we're going to pray this prayer of confession. And it's vast tracts of it are taken straight out of scripture and saints from every nation on planet earth and in every language have prayed this prayer. And it's fitting that we would join in with the body of Christ and pray this prayer of confession. So tonight I want us to close our eyes. Right where you are, do business with God. Talk to him. Come home, saints.
come home. Don't go another night by yourself. Don't go another night in shame. Don't go another night hiding. Don't go another night trying to be your own little God. I promise you, it will never work. It never has. It never will. Stop the madness tonight. Jesus, we come to you. You've been saying, where are you? And we say, here I am. Would you just begin to say, here I am to the Lord. Talk to him. I'm right here. I'm putting it all down. I'm walking away from it. Here I am, oh God. And now church, this prayer is gonna come up on the screen and let's pray this together as a congregation and ask for God's mercy. Tonight, let's pray this saying, most merciful God. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name and all God's people said, amen. Saints, I have the good news of God on my lips tonight for you. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. If you'll confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. I say to you tonight by the spirit of God, welcome home. You are clean. You are forgiven. God is for you. He will always be for you. Can you say amen tonight, church? Can you get your communion elements ready to receive? If you don't have communion elements, we've got people all over the room ready to bring you some. Just raise your hands and they'll get that right to you. Got some here in the front row. Over here on this side. As the old evangelist would say, I see that hand. We got a bunch over here that we need. Thank you, my brother. Maybe just break the wafer and give half of it to the person next to you. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It's COVID. Everyone got theirs? Okay, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed. We need one right there. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Friends tonight, Jesus is here to feed you. You may receive the bread. On the same night, he took the cup of wine And he said, this cup is the new covenant. Covenant. We're gonna enter into an arrangement, an agreement. I'm for you. It's the new covenant given in my blood. It's gonna cost me everything. I'll die for you. And it's given for the remission of your sins. You're clean. And Jesus says, as often as you do this, do this for the remembrance of me. Saints, you may receive forgiveness tonight. Let's worship the Lord together. Yeah.
sing that I depend on you I depend on you. come on church tell them I depend on you. the only true God I to the king eternal immortal invisible the only God the honor and glory forever and ever amen come on
you open your hands, church? God, teach us to abide. Teach us to be able to be around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil without taking from it. Help us to be safe around the craziness. Help us to be dependable even in a situation of temptation. Make us strong, God. (laughs) Make us strong. Make us strong. Make us your children. Make us so claimed by you that we go out into a world of, of lost people and we become a where are you proclamation. Make us, the church, that kind of invitation. Where are you? Come home, people. Tonight, for my friends, Lord, I pray, bless them and keep them and make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. Lord, lift your bright, smiling countenance upon them and grant them peace, I pray, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Can we give God thanks for what he's done here tonight? Can we say thank you to this incredible team leading us in worship? It ain't this good everywhere, baby. So when you see them, give them a Starbucks gift card or something. Like, they're working hard. Anyway, a couple announcements, okay? I want the prayer team to come down. Don't start leaving now. We're not done. Just give me a minute. Prayer team, come down. We would love to pray with any of you who need extended prayer. So if that's you, please let us agree with you in prayer. Second thing, for you double dippers that come on Sunday morning, I'm preaching that same thing, hopefully as good, on Sunday. I usually say better, but I don't know. That was pretty decent tonight. I, you know, yeah, it was pretty decent. Sorry. I, I don't feel that way very often, so when you do, take it. Run. Anyway, double dippers, we'll see you Sunday. Um, If you want to be a small group leader, a table group leader, we're going to have a little gathering out here in the student chapel. If that's you, swing on out. We would love to have you join. And finally, I say go from here tonight in God's grace and peace. So much love.